The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. This morning, we are going to turn to that technical passage. Um, I liken this, and we're in our study of Hebrews, greater than, and this morning the title is greater than the priesthood, greater than the priesthood. As we were planning this out last fall, and I ran this by Nelson, Nelson said, why don't you do chapter seven in one shot? And pastor, wherever you are, that probably would not have been a bad idea because we are getting ready to get into a passage that you're going to look at and say, I, well, maybe you won't, but I looked at it several times this week and said, huh? What? We are talking about people. We are talking about situations. We are talking about details of which we, as an American Christian in 21st century, probably, uh, whatever it is these days, do not have a lot of connection to. But I want you to know that in the midst of these details, Jesus is still king. He's still risen. And everything we're going to do today is going to point to him but you gotta go through it with me. Most of you all, if you're like this, by show of hands, if you feel so led, uh, when you get an instruction manual, how many of y'all just read that and just eat it up because you love the technical details so much? Anybody? Nelson is the only one. And if you know Nelson, that makes complete sense. I asked Nelson, no, I actually didn't ask him if he wanted to preach this, but he might wanted to have done this. I've, I have read this passage numerous times. I only say that to say, I have tried to dummify it for myself. So if you walk out of here knowing what it means, that's accomplishment. If you walk out of here and know that it points to Jesus, that's a greater praise. But today, probably, arguably, one of the harder one of the top five hardest passages in the New Testament we are going through today. And church, you are a good church to go through this. Most churches, if you preached on this, would just say, well, I'm done. They check out. Please don't check out on me. Stay with me. We'll get through this. It points to Jesus, and that's why you're here, isn't it? So with that in mind, would you join me in standing? I've given you the disclaimer, so now you have no excuse as it comes to it. Let's join together as we stand. We're going to read verses 4 through 10. Hebrews chapter 7, we're talking about that guy. Many of you are saving for your grandson, your granddaughter, whatever, Melchizedek. You're going to name them after this guy because you have learned a lot about him. And today you'll learn more about him. We will actually start, let's start back in verse 1. It's not very many verses. Verses 1 to 10. Hear God's word this morning. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned or gave a tenth part of everything. He is first, that is Melchizedek, first by translation of his name, king of righteousness. Then he is also king of Salem, that is, which means king of peace. Verse 3, he is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. But resembling the son of God, he continues as a priest forever. Verse 4, see how great this man, that's referring to Melchizedek, was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of his spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take the tithes from the people, that is from their brothers. 
though these also descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent, referring to Melchizedek, from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. Verse 8, in the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. So, verse 9, one might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, pays tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. I'm going to step off to the side. If you're ready to teach on this, please come on up and you can take this on. This is a very technical passage, but as in every part of scripture, it points to a greater need, and that was the coming Savior, Jesus Christ. Do not lose the forest for the trees. Do not major in the minors. But to get to the major, we're going to have to speak to the minor. Does that make sense? We're going to get there. Hang tight. Buckle up. You're going to learn more about Melchizedek today, and you will appreciate him in God's timeline in your life more than you know. Let's go before the Lord today as we start. Father, as we come to you, we've said enough. This is technical. He even tells us that in chapter 5, verse 11. There's a lot of things he had to say concerning Melchizedek. Father, today, would you grow us in the meat of your word? Grow us in the, in the milk or the meat, wherever we are, but grow us in the grace and knowledge of Christ, not just to have head knowledge. We don't come here to earn points with you. We come, as Jacob said, to say, surely the Lord is in this place. So, Father, in the technical details of some technical things, of things long ago, may Christ be lifted high. We pray all this again in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Well, for some of you, it's been a few years, but some of you have kids or grandkids, and you remember when you were assigned group assignments. Do you remember this? Group assignments. Maybe it's more of my generation's thing, but I hated group assignments because I like to work by myself most times, and most of y'all know that. It's the runner mentality, independent thing. That's just what you do. But sometimes when you were in a group assignment, the rules by the teacher said that one person one person, they would, pick in, they would pick the groups, and then they would pick the one person to represent your group in front of everybody else. And there was always a teacher who picked the weakest link to be the representative for everybody else. They barely passed class. They hardly came to class. And if they were awake in class, it was a miracle. Do you know, you met these people in your life, yet they represented you. Or if you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan, and it's been a few years, you can remember this guy. Oh, come on, you Chiefs fans. Lynn Elliott, do I need to say anything more? 1997, Chiefs versus Colts. The Chiefs were 13-3. and three. He missed five field goals in a row going into the playoffs, and he added three more that night, and we lost by, wouldn't you believe it, three points. Lynn Elliott never got another kick in the NFL and has had a successful career, apparently, ESPN tells me, in Waco, Texas, as a salesman of insurance. But one person represented the face of a franchise until a young buck named Patrick Mahomes took it home and won the gold a few years back. One person can represent the entire group. That's the point I'm trying to make. And spiritually, even more so, when someone falls or fails, the rest of us are affected. Indeed, I need to remind you that the one person who represented you, who we did not read about, was a guy by the name of Adam. Do you remember that guy? Adam stood in your place so many years ago, probably six or 7,000 years ago by most accounts. And what is true of Adam is true of you. 
We inherited a sin nature, a corrupted heart, and everything we do for the Lord has been tainted because our forefather Adam said, hey, let's eat from that tree over there and let's see what it tastes like. That didn't work out too well, did it? Just like Linnelli at missing field goals and all those other things. Or to put it in more modern terms, G.K. Chesterton, the British author, was once asked to publish a response to the question, what is wrong with the world? And in only a wit that a British man, especially him, could do, he sent a four-word response to the editors, and he said, Dear sirs, I am. Friends, wherever you go in this world, we are represented often by one person. And that one person can either make or break whatever organization, whatever group, or whatever it is. And today, I want to tell you that Melchizedek, the man we're going to be talking about today, represented you long before you came to know Jesus Christ. Does that put his name a little bit more in perspective for you? And because of him, through his faith, blessing of Abraham, through the blessing of Abraham, and so on and so forth, Christ came. And because of Christ, one representation, where one man sinned and one man failed, Christ took all for us. And that is what I want you to see today. So this morning, let me ask you, how does this apply to your life? What does Adam and Melchizedek and Levi and Abraham and the writer of Hebrews have to say to us today? That's what I want to look at as we do. And I want to remind you of a scripture long ago, and Amy will put this up. Genesis 3 tells us that after Adam fell, that the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, Adam, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field, and on your belly you shall go. So speaking to the serpent, I mean, the dust shall eat all the days of your life, and I'll put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. All the promises of scripture are one string, a golden chain, the old dead guys used to say, to point back to this fact. All the details of scripture were pointing to the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. Aren't you grateful that God doesn't miss a detail in your salvation and he doesn't miss a detail in your life? The big idea today will speak to that. The big idea today is simply this, is that Jesus not only made the way and was the way, but he bore the curse for our sake that we might know Abraham's blessing. And what was the blessing? The blessing was is that someday through the line of Melchizedek as a priest and Abraham as a father of promise would come one named Jesus who would save you from your sin. And so this morning, I wanna look at three things, three things this morning that are different from Abraham and different from Melchizedek. And I wanna see how it all ties up in a man called Adam. If I've lost you yet, hang with me. Three ways Melchizedek's priesthood is superior and what it means for us. I want to start with the first one. We're going to walk through this. I'm telling you, I've told you this before, and I'm only saying this to tell you this. On a lot of my runs, I go out and think about the sermon. Try not to get eaten by animals and think about the sermon and dodge cars like Frogger. That's kind of my mission every morning. So I'm trying to communicate this as clearly as I can. I want you to see Christ. I don't want you to miss this, but the first way that Melchizedek was superior and the blessing came down through the priesthood into Christ was that he received something superior. He received what was superior. Look at verses four and five. Melchizedek's priesthood is superior in this way. Verse four tells us, see how great a man this was to whom Abraham gave a tenth. What's he talking about? He's talking about that Melchizedek kind of came out of nowhere. Do you remember that? It's been a couple weeks, but we read verses one to three and Melchizedek just kind of shows up. He's the king of what we now know as Jerusalem and it says he has no father, he has no mother, he has no genealogy, he just kind of shows up. I mean, 
he's just a stranger wandering the streets, it seems like. But he really wasn't. In God's economy, in his grace, when Noah left the ark, somehow, someway, through one of the sons of Noah, came a lineage by a guy named Melchizedek. And he was the only one who was ever a king and a priest together. Jesus was prophet, priest, and king. Melchizedek was king, ruler, and priest, spiritual leader. And so he gets down here to verse 4, and he says, look how great a man this is. Melchizedek's a great man. Well, time out for a second, Pastor. Why does Jesus never mention Melchizedek? Why does, the, why does nobody else except Genesis 12, Genesis 14, and this little section or so in Hebrews 7, and, and maybe a psalmist mention Melchizedek? Well, if he's so great, then why is he not mentioned very much? There's a mystery to him, isn't there? There's a great mystery to Melchizedek, how great he was. Yet we know nothing about him. I want to remind you that some of you have heard this preaching before, but Melchizedek is not Jesus Christ. Melchizedek was Melchizedek. Jesus was Jesus. That makes sense? They're two separate people. But Melchizedek is a type or a picture of Jesus Christ. Some of you have had that said about yourselves. You act in a certain way in your family, and your old Aunt Esther, who's like 175 and is, is uh, Leon's cousin, says... That's an age joke, Leon, don't worry. Looks at you and says, you remind me of so-and-so in our family back in my day. And Well, that's kind of what, when you look at Melchizedek, he's a picture of Jesus Christ and a great one at that. He received Abraham's choicest spoils, it says, that Abraham paid him tithe. Now, that's weird, isn't it? If you're a Jew or you know any Jewish people, who is the one, two people probably they look to? Moses and Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. You know the song. Everybody knows Abraham. Nobody knows who in the world Melchizedek is, yet Abraham bowed and gave him tithes. Remember the story. Abraham had lost Lot. Lot had gone off like a lost sheep, and he'd gone off, and Abraham had to go rescue him in a great battle against the kings. And Melchizedek shows up, and Abraham gives him a tenth of his spoils and probably the greatest man on earth, and he encounters Melchizedek. Well, what does this say? It says that Melchizedek, and shows that Melchizedek is superior to Abraham. That's mind-blowing, because look at verse 5. It says, the patriarch, verse 4, he gave a tenth, and verse 5, and those descendants of Levi, who received the priestly office, have commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also descended from Abraham. What's he saying? He's saying that the priests who are after Abraham, remember Moses set up the law, you remember this? Moses set up the law and you had to be of the tribe of Levi to be a priest. The writer of Hebrews is saying that Melchizedek is superior because the priests were born into it. But Melchizedek just shows up and it's a part of it. He just kind of comes out of left field or right field, whatever it is. But Melchizedek was not born into it. Melchizedek didn't have a daddy who was a priest that we know of. Melchizedek just was a priest. I want you to think about that for a second. Jesus Christ just kind of shows up out of nowhere, doesn't he? I mean, we know it's coming, but you know what I mean. He just kind of, everything's going on in the world, and then all of a sudden the great heavens open up, and here comes Jesus, born of a virgin, born under the law, just the right time, and the angels sing, and the shepherds quake, and you're, you, all those Christmas songs are dancing in your head as I speak, and you know this. But just like Melchizedek, Jesus just shows up. Now, there was a plan. We didn't always see it or understand it, but there was a plan. And what did he receive at his birth? Gold, come on now, frankincense and myrrh. Things fit for a king. 
All these things point back to the reality that Melchizedek is superior to Abraham, and they beeline to the fact that Jesus did the same thing. Christ is superior in his priesthood. Every priest that's ever come fails in comparison to Jesus Christ. Even the popes going all the way back, well, depends on who you are about how far back that goes, but the popes going back to when they claim popehood pale in comparison to Jesus Christ. And what he is saying here in verse 5 is that Melchizedek is superior over Abraham and all the world that would come from Abraham, and that Melchizedek represented all that was to follow through the Levite priest. In other words, everything Melchizedek stood for was greater than everything Moses would set up under the Lord's grace and the law. Yet you hardly hear about him, but that was God's plan. But do you realize Melchizedek had to be a very humble man? Can you imagine? Did you think he knew that he was going to be connected to the Messiah someday? I don't know. We don't have that word here. But I want to remind you that he had, Abraham had to humble himself as well. God just came to Abraham and said, oh, by the way, Abraham, everyone in this whole world is going to be your descendant. Now, if you're like most people, your head would start to swell a little bit, wouldn't it? And it's not because you were in a car wreck. If you tell someone you're the greatest thing in the world, they get a big smile on their face, isn't it? One of the biggest prideful men of our generation, is named, and this is nothing more than just a comment, he said it, is LeBron James. He considers himself to be the king of the world. He just hit $1 billion in sales, and that was his life goal, and his head and his bank account just keep swelling. Abraham was a humble man, but you better believe he walked around with an air about him, I'm sure, at times, saying, the promise is coming through me. But yet here he is, bowing before Melchizedek and saying, take a tenth of everything I have. There's a lesson in that for us, and Amy will put this up. Weakness is the Lord's workroom, a Lord's woodshed, if you want to use that language, where by his grace, his clay is softened, molded, and refined. I believe that Abraham, as he stood before Melchizedek and gave a tenth of his spoils, was growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ because Abraham, the father of the promise, had to bow to one that was superior to him. Why was he superior to him? We're, we're getting there. We'll get there. But I want you to know that even in all of our gains, we must acknowledge our weakness as we come to the Lord. Abraham had to do it. You have to do it. You wouldn't be a Christian if you didn't. You had to acknowledge that you were a sinner. And if you're here today and you think you can waltz your way or dance your way down the aisle to be in heaven with God someday, you're in for a big surprise. Jesus said, all those who are humble of spirit, who come like a child, will be saved. And so here he is, Abraham, the man of promise, the one for whom all the Jewish religion would point back to as a, as a, a focal point of their whole worldview, had to be softened, had to be molded and refined in the sense that he had to bow to one superior than himself. So if Abraham had to, you better believe we must go before the Lord and his people as humble, humble folks. The mightiest among us will be shown by our submission and humility to the Lord. The first will be last, the greatest buffet line Baptist thing. The first will be last and the last will be first. That's what he tells us. He was superior in what he received. But notice secondly, he is superior, Melchizedek is, in what he gave, what he gave. We're getting into more technical stuff. Hang with me. Look at verse six. Grab your Bible. I want you to follow along with this. He says in verse six, 
Verses 4 and 5, superior in what he received. Verse 6, in what he gave. But this man, this man, this is Melchizedek, this man who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had had the promises. Well, didn't you just say that, writer of Hebrews? Well, he's a good preacher. He tells you what he said, and then he tells you again what he just said. He's making the point that he was born like us. Melchizedek had a father and mother, but he was without record. He just didn't have a birth certificate. Uh, If you've ever, uh, some of you, I forget who it was. One of our older saints here a couple weeks ago came up to me and said, I have to find my birth certificate to get my Missouri license these days. He said, it has been so long, I don't even know if I can find it anymore. But he knew he had a father. He knew he had a mother. So this is a modern-day parallel. Melchizedek was a real man. He collected a tenth. He's repeating here that Melchizedek is superior to Abraham and all that would come through him. And it says at verse 6 that he blessed the one who had the promises. And in the first, he received the tithes. He's superior. But now, he's the one who's bestowing the blessing. Melchizedek is blessing Abraham. And it's not the other way around. Melchizedek is getting the gift, but then he's dishing out the gift. He's blessing Abraham. So we are seeing that if Melchizedek is greater than Abraham, and he was, then he was greater than anything that would come through Abraham. Now, that's shocking. Because if you're a Jew and you're hearing this for the first time, and you're not a Christian, and you're looking around, you're thinking, how can anyone be greater than Moses and his priests? That doesn't make any sense. But what he's doing here is he's priming the pump. He's priming the pump saying, look, Melchizedek was greater than Abraham. But there's one coming who's greater than Melchizedek, and his name is Jesus Christ. And that's who it is. He's looking at this argument and saying, look, all the priests served as God told them to. But Melchizedek's greater than them. And yet there's one coming who's even greater than that. And his name is Jesus. And he's going to give you a once and for all sacrifice. He's going to be the one. You don't have to shed the blood of animals to partake of the Lord's Supper. You don't have to do those things anymore. That's why he says in verse 7, your Bible may have something different here. Uh, I like the New American Standard in ESV. It says, it's beyond dispute. In other words, guys, take me at face value. You don't need to argue this. I've won the argument. Drop the microphone. Do the drums, whatever. The point is made. He was superior in what he received, verses 4 and 5. But also, verse 7, it says, it is beyond dispute that the inferior, who's the inferior here? You following this? It's Abraham. Is blessed by the superior, which is who? Melchizedek. The lesser is blessed by the greater. Mel is blessed by Abraham, and then Mel is greater than Abraham. I call him Mel. Is that okay? Following with me? Why is this so hard? Because now the question is, will Jesus come through Melchizedek, or will he come through the priests that are to come? The point I want you to see, and Amy will put this up on the screen, can I be super simple with you? When you have Jesus, you have all you need basically what he's arguing. When you have Jesus, you have all you need. He is our great high priest. He's greater than Melchizedek. He's greater than Abraham. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than every pastor, priest, and and Pope, and and Billy Graham, and Billy Sunday, and John Whitfield, uh, John John Edwards, uh, Charles Wesley, Charles Spurgeon, all these great heroes of our faith. Aquinas, How far back do you want to go? He's greater. 
all the Father's goodness is poured out for you in Jesus Christ. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that there was one who is greater than Abraham, Melchizedek, but there's one who's even greater than Melchizedek, and his name is Jesus. Christian, you are here today. You are forgiven in Christ. You're reconciled in Christ. You're justified. You're adopted. You have joy because of Christ. You have the power of the Holy Spirit because of the death and burial and resurrection of Christ. You have comfort and you have direction in Christ. You are superior to all people everywhere, not because of what you are, but because of who you are partnered with, because the superior one lets you into his kingdom and now you get to rule with him forever and ever and ever and ever. And you know what's greater than anything? The priest started when they were about 25 years old. Sorry, Isaiah, you're still too young. You can't be a part of the priesthood at this point. And you had to prove, you're, you're, you had to be a card-carrying member of the Levite clan. And at age 50, I actually think this is kind of a cool thing. At age 50, they retired him out early. And every pastor everywhere said, amen. But the point is, is Jesus doesn't give you a 25-year guarantee on your salvation. He doesn't say, well, you're only a Christian as long as I'm a priest. His priesthood lasts forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And Jesus says, there's no expiration date on how much I love you, how much I gave for you, and how much I mean to you if you really are in me. I am forever. Trust me, I got this. That is the God that we serve. And Melchizedek is greater in Abraham what he received and what he gave, but Jesus is better than all those things. Finally, this. Melchizedek is superior, number three, in what, excuse me, in how long he lives, in how long he lives. If you have your Bible with you, I want you to follow along. I'm gonna read verses eight through 10 again. He's superior in how long he lives, this Melchizedek. It says in verse eight, and in, in the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor Melchizedek when he met him. Okay, what's going on here? Well, verse eight tells us that mortal men receive tithes. Look, when you come as an Old Testament person, you gave a tenth of about everything you had to the temple, and then that went to the priest. That was their sustenance, their, their salary, if you will. But they died. Eventually, they all died. All the priests died. It is hard to believe, I was looking this up, that's why Billy Graham's on my head. Can you believe some of y'all? I, I remember being at Arrowhead in 2004, five, I think it's a long time ago, almost 20 years ago, when he preached his last tour. Billy Graham died four years ago. For some of y'all who love uh, R.C. Sproul of that Ligonier type, he died five years ago this year. Time flies. If you're an Adrian Rogers fan, if Dave were here this morning, Adrian Rogers died, guys, almost 17 years ago. And if you like those old dead guys, I won't quote you how many years it's been since they died. But here's the thing. All the priests he's saying are gonna die. But in one, there's one who, who lives on. Now, pastor, is this saying in verse eight that Melchizedek is forever, that he was immortal? No, I don't think that's what it's saying at all. He's mysterious to us and he serves as a picture of Christ. We don't know when he died. And the point they're trying to make is, the writer's making, is that Melchizedek is greater than any priest because we have no record of his death. Well, guess what? It's pointing as a picture to Jesus. Yes, we have a record of Jesus' death, but Melchizedek, we have no record of his death. And what he's saying is, look, in this picture of who God raised him up to be, it's pointing to one who has no death in his name at all, and his name is Jesus Christ. 
moth and rust will not destroy. Do not gather your, your treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy, but gather your treasures where? In heaven, where our king lives forever. And it says live forever. What does this mean? It means when we commit our lives to Christ, it is a guarantee. He lives forever. Amy, you can go ahead and put this next slide up. The baby in that manger so long ago was willing to be homeless, so you would be guaranteed to have an eternal home. Melchizedek was a man of flesh and blood. He died at some point, we don't know. But his type, his picture points to the one who came from outside of time and came within time. The timeless one entered time so that those of us who are in this world might know that our time is coming short, but we can be with him forever and ever and ever and ever. You ever thought about how long eternity is? It's a long time. It's forever. There's an old illustration that says, if you could take an eagle, if this were possible, and fly up to Mount Everest and knock off a rock a year, and over all the years that it takes to level Mount Everest down to the ground with the, 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 the generations of eagles knocking off a rock a year, eternity has just begun. The writer of Hebrews is saying, this Melchizedek is pointing to a priest who will always be there for you, who always secures you, and who always loves you. Okay, pastor, I get that, but what about verse nine? Let's go there. Verse nine says, and follow me, I know this is hard. It says, so to speak, he's summarizing here. Through Abraham, even Levi received tithes and paid tithes. What's he saying? What does this mean? How, what is he saying? Levi himself paid tithes and then paid tithes through Abraham. For, here's the reason, verse 10, he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Look, when Abraham came before Melchizedek, Levi, his grandson, was still in his loins. Or excuse me, his great-grandson. Abraham stood as the federal head. I'm gonna use that word. Say it with me, federal head. Can you say that? Federal head. That's an old term, I'll define it in a minute. He was the representative, the one person of Israel, Abraham was. And all that was come through Israel would be bound up in Abraham. And in Abraham, God would establish the law, Moses would come, and all these great things would come. And when Abraham brought his tithe to Melchizedek, it was as if Levi, his great-grandson, was showing that Melchizedek was over Levi and all the generations before. And in very simple language, Levi wouldn't come for another hundred years, but Melchizedek is greater than Abraham, Levi, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, the priesthood, etc., etc., David, Solomon, etc. And friends, Abraham represented the Israel nation, Israel, Israeli nation during that time. Abraham was the one that bowed to Melchizedek when he was giving the blessing. And I want you to know as you come with me, will you hold your Bible there and go over to Romans chapter five for just a moment. Romans chapter five. If you fell asleep, you can turn your Bible and you can wake up with us. Romans chapter five, I want you to do verse 12. Just as Abraham represented the nation of Israel and everyone who would come after him would bow as it were symbolically to Melchizedek, so all of us are either in one or in the other. And some of you know where this is going. Abraham represented, he was the federal head. He was the representative of the nation of Israel. 
and so too we had a representative by the name of Adam, which literally means man. Our pastor Nelson's youngest son is named Man. Uh, when I was first came here, I called him the man because literally his name means the man. Chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, Romans 5, 12, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through one sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world, verse 13, before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those sinning, not like the transgression of Adam, who is a type of the one who was to come. Brrr. You with me? The writer of Hebrews is arguing that Abraham represented the whole nation of Israel. His faults, his promises, his guarantees that God gave him would be played out all the way down through the line of Abraham. You can read about it in the Old Testament. Melchizedek in the priestly way is a blessing and a promise and a type of a priest to come that one day would represent the nation and would take away all the sins once and for all. In very simple language, the writer of Hebrews is saying, it is common in the Bible for one person to represent one thing. And in a greater vein, he's pointing to the fact that Adam represented you in that garden. I talked to a guy one time on the streets when we, we talked about this. I said, buddy, you've been sinning since your father Adam sinned long ago. And he looked at me square in the eyes. I remember this like it was yesterday. He looked at me and he said, if I were there, if I were Adam, I would not have sinned. Okay. Well, there's your first lie, so you just sinned. But at, yeah, famous last words, that's right. Friends, the point of all this that the writer of Hebrews is saying is, look, Every stop in God's exit point off the highway of his plan for Abraham, for Melchizedek, for Adam, they were representatives of us. They all failed. They all messed up. They all went their own way at times, but God still pointed to one who was over them all. And his name is what, church? Jesus. And so today, we stand on the shoulders of Melchizedek and Abraham and Adam reminding ourselves that sin came in the world one time. James 2 says, if you sin at just one point in the law, you are guilty of breaking it all. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, every point of scripture comes back to this. Abraham failed, Melchizedek failed, Adam failed, but in Christ, there is no more failure. He represents you perfectly. When you die and you go to heaven, you have a judge and you have an advocate and you have a savior who looked at you and said, I shouldn't have you in my, my midst, but I'm gonna take you in anyway. For I so loved you and gave my life for you that you have eternal life. Come unto me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And on that day, when Satan is hurling all the accusations at you, your advocate is gonna look and say, I died for him, I died for her. He is mine, she is mine. Get away from me, Satan. Get ye behind me, Satan. All the promises of the Old Testament, the writer of Hebrews says in so many technical words, where Adam failed, where all the promises were through sinful people, were fulfilled in a perfect one, which is Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Lynn Elliott missed a field goal. Oops, it's a game. Life goes on. Micro-project grade stunk at times. Oops, it's a grave. Life goes on. 
We can't just say, oops, Adam, you did it again in Britney Spears' terms. We have to go back and say, but Jesus did it once. And he didn't say, oops. He said, it is finished. And that's what he's arguing. Next week, we're going to get into more technical language, but I want you to remember this today. Jesus is superior to everything, everyone, anything, anyone, any situation you're in. And the writer of Hebrews says, hang on. By grace, because he's holding on you with omnipotent arms. What a savior we have. All by grace through faith. Because of what Jesus has done for us. Will you back your heads with me this morning as we close out? Father, we are reminded this morning that in Jesus we are given a second Adam, not a second chance. We didn't get that up on the screen. That's my fault, Lord. But Father, as we close out our sermon and get ready to enter the Lord's Supper in a few moments for our last song and partake together, Lord, we would pray that you remind us that we have fallen so far away from your grace. We have sinned so terribly, wickedly, evilly that only your Son, holy God, holy man, could come and save wretches such as us. Father, we don't like to speak that way today. We live in a culture where everyone gets a participation trophy and everyone must feel their self-worth. And there is a point at which, Lord, that is the biblical concept to a degree. But, Father, where sinful men can twist such words of yours, they will. And, Father, we are not good enough. We can't try hard enough. There's nothing sincere about us, Lord. Our, our hearts are wickedly deceitful above all things. Yet, but Christ. Father, where Abraham failed, where Melchizedek, although we don't know how many instances failed, even in his leadership as priest and king, where all the Levites who came after Moses, the priest, may have failed, where Adam failed once, we point to a greater reality of one, your son, in complete fulfillment, took all the wrath we deserve, took all the prophecies that were predicted, and took all the suffering that should have fallen on us, all by grace, for your glory, Lord, first, for our good, second. But we thank you for all that you've given us. Lord, we love you. I pray as we sing this last song.